Hi, welcome to the Minority Money Podcast with our dad, Emlyn Miles Madigan, the best dad in the whole world. You know why we think he's the best? Because he teaches us stuff, good stuff about life and money. We know you will love him as much as we do. So So let's let's get get on on with with the the show. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, owner and president of Gen Next Wealth, a financial planning and investment firm, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm, might I add. Today, we're going to be talking about open enrollment and employee benefits. This is always a topic that comes up or the time of year, every October, it rolls out, open enrollment happens, and all the anxiety floods in. I know for myself, before I was in in, in sales and started selling insurance and stuff like that, this was always a time where I was just so scared, didn't know what I was going to do. I get all these papers from my employer and I'm just like, oh my God. So today I'm joined by Michael Pollocker, who specializes with working with people in their company benefits. So he says, he likes to say a lot of his clients uh, are employees. And so it is his job to learn the ins and outs of their employee benefits program. So I thought it was great to have him on. He also hosts his own podcast called The 15-Minute Financial Advisor. And on that podcast, he actually had a four-part series about uh, employee benefits and employee wellness. And so after I listened to that, because I'm a listener of his podcast, shout out to 15-Minute Financial Advisor, I thought, you know what, we could have you on our show and and let's talk about it. So Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Dude, Emlyn, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. I've been listening to every episode that's been published so far of the Minority Money Podcast, and it's an honor to be featured as a guest. Oh, man, I thank you. Mike's not only a fellow advisor, but I consider Mike a friend. I won't hold it against him that he is a Seattle Seahawks fan. And, and <laughs> I kind of threw up in my mouth when I said that team's name, but uh, we won't hold it against him. So we'll, we'll let it go. We'll, we'll see what happens this year. We got two games to play against one another and we'll see how it goes. Right. It's probably better that we had this podcast prior to the games, right? Cause I'm a Niner fan for those of you that don't know, but when we actually do play, we might not talk after that. So I'm glad we got this out of the way now. It depends on how good uh, Jimmy Garoppolo does in that game. He's going to do great. <laughs> what I wanted to do is I know that when I was listening to your podcast, there was a, a report that you talked about. It was from, I believe, Price Waterhouse Cooper, and they had some crazy statistics about employees, wellness, how financial stress affects them in the workplace. And I, I wanted you just to kind of jump in on some of those, if you don't mind. The whole theme of this podcast today will be about open enrollment and employee benefits. So I wanted you to just kind of, you know, if you could jump into some of those, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. PricewaterhouseCoopers or PwC has been doing this survey. It's their employee financial wellness survey for eight years now. And I've been reading it probably for the last three or four years and really dug into it the last two. And one of the things that was really alarming to me is the amount of employees that have financial stress or that report in the survey that they have financial stress. So overall, across all three of their cohorts, if you will, they they separate the survey respondents into baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials. And the report was across all three, 67% of employees have stress dealing with their personal financial situation. So two out of three people that means if you work for a company and you sit in a, you know, an office or whatever, and you've got somebody to your left and somebody to your right, that means that only one of them or only one of you is not stressed about money. 
that's up from 47% the year before. So I don't know what happened between 2018 and 2019, or really 2017 and 2018. The stress level has, you know, gone through the roof. I think that's the highest they've ever recorded in this survey. They've been doing it since 2012. For millennials specifically, 76% of them are stressed. That's three out of four people. That number is just staggering to me. That's crazy. Like, because you think about it, there's a lot of millennials in the workforce. And I know a lot of millennials listen to this podcast and have over 75% of the people that are in the workplace are stressed about money. That's crazy. That is crazy. So I'll go a little bit deeper on the statistics or the, the results of their study. 32% of the people who are stressed said that their financial stress has health impacts. So now you've got people that are worried about their money at work that are now becoming physically ill. Another piece of it, and I don't remember the exact figure, but I think they said it was three hours or more. So of the employers that are stressed about money, I want to say it was like 47%. I don't remember specifically, but about 47 to 50% or so spend three hours or more at work every week dealing with their own personal financial situation or personal financial stress. I mean, if you think about that as a business, your workforce, 67% of them are stressed. A third of the people that are stressed are so stressed that it's making them ill. And half of them are using work time, productivity time to deal with their own personal financial stress. So something's got to change. I think there needs to be, you know, more education from the employer and more, you know, I'm going to take care of myself from the employee. We can't put this all on the employers. A lot of the companies do a lot of really good stuff for their employees and the employees have to take the initiative to go learn it for themselves or, you know, find somebody like you that can help coach them through it and help them take advantage of what these companies are offering. Absolutely. I think that when you start throwing out these statistics about how people feel, you know, when it comes to financial issues that they may be having and how those actually can directly be related to health issues. And I won't even say just the financial, but just stress in general. We know, you know, stress is a silent killer. And so we have people come into work worried about what's going to happen with their personal financial life. And then, you know, take that in with, I would say, social indifference, because that's what they call it on the uh, data points survey. When you actually go through that survey, Social indifference is basically keeping up with the Joneses. So now you go to work and you have three out of four people that are really, really stressed out, but they're still trying to keep up with the Joneses socially. So they might go buy the new car. They might have to get the new house. They might have to refinance. They might have to do all these other things. And so I think all that stuff plays into the overall stress. And then you come home and then most people don't talk about money with their spouse or with their significant other, whoever they're living with. So now you go to work and you see everybody's success with air quotes, I'm doing that because of the things that they have. And now you feel bad about yourself. And now it's like, okay, you know, I don't know how to find a new job. And we talked about negotiating salaries on another episode. So now we go get another job and we haven't, we haven't really fixed the issue and we haven't learned how to negotiate a salary. And so we leave and we still have the same stress and all of these things can be helped if we pay more attention during open enrollment and employee benefits times. So that's why I thought it was so important for us to get this information out to people and talk about some things that they can actually do to help themselves. Because we, I mean, no one wants to go to work stressed. No one wants to go out there and feel like they're not doing well. And it's ultimately going to affect their productivity. And I really don't think employees are showing up to work and people aren't coming to work saying, I don't want to have a good day. 
Absolutely not. They show up to work and they say, hey, let me get this done. We spend more time at work than we do basically anywhere else. So they want to get their job done. They want to have, you know, an enjoyable time doing it for the most part and feel like they've accomplished something when they leave. Absolutely. So, Mike, why do you think it's so important for people to take full advantage of the benefits that are offered by the employer? Let me answer your question with a question, if I can do that. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you need to contribute to your 401k because the match is free money? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually, yes, I've, I've heard that. I hate that phrase, free money, because it's not free money. Yeah. When, when you take a job, when you accept a job with an employer that offers a 401k and pays a 401k match, mm-hmm. that is a part of your negotiated compensation. Don't look at that as, oh, if I contribute money to my 401k, I'm going to you know, get paid a little bit of free money or I'm going to get some of this free money. That's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from the perspective of part of my responsibility as a human being to myself and to my future mm-hmm. is contributing to at least the maximum that they will match. Mm-hmm. And again, I, this isn't blanket advice, but if you don't contribute to that, you're telling that employer, I don't want all the money that you said you would pay me. So that's just one aspect of it, right? 401k is just one piece. But if there's employee stock purchase plans, if there's HSA benefits because you have a high deductible health plan, there's all sorts of different things that you know may not seem like much. You look at the child care or dependent care benefits that some employers offer, and it's not a lot of money. It's like $2,000 a year or whatever. And, and anybody that has child care or pays for child care knows that $2,000 over the course of a year might get you for a month, maybe a month and a half if you're lucky. Yeah. But by taking advantage of that, that's $2,000 that you can spend that you didn't have to pay tax on mm-hmm. in most cases, right? Again, not a CPA. Talk to your tax accountant before you take any action. But you know, those are the kinds of things that it's little but it makes a difference over time. That money is then in your pocket or your account or you get to spend it as opposed to it just goes to the federal government, the IRS, whoever. And in my opinion, I want my clients to have more say over where their money goes as opposed to giving it all to the federal government or the state government if they're in the the beautiful sunshine state of California. I don't know if it's actually the sunshine state. Um, That was a Dr. Dre reference. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in California, they pay the state too. So it's imperative to your financial future and your financial well-being that you pay attention to these benefits, regardless of how small they seem, because they add up with the other benefits that you have. They add up with the compounding year over year over year. And to me, it's important. It's money that people often just leave on the table and don't even think about. The other thing is, you know, we talk about 401ks, we're talking about health benefits, but let's talk about the employee assistance program. I was looking through other things that they have because most of the time your employer has a very robust offering of things like they will offer marriage counseling through your employer for free if you go see one of the listed practitioners that they have, that they use. And this is for most employers. They also have prepaid legal, typically, where you can get legal advice for free for a few consults. They have the child care thing is a huge thing. Tuition reimbursement is another thing they have. And all Mike and I are trying to get across to the listeners today is it makes sense for you to take that packet home and just look at it. Now, when I'm working with my clients, I have them bring in their employee benefits and we go through it and make sure that they're making the right decisions for each individual situation because each individual situation is going to be different. But 
today we're, we're just going to be kind of covering over some of the thing. And we know that this time is now like open enrollment is right now. So understanding why it's so important to take care of this stuff. And I like the way that you phrase it, Mike, you, you say that it's a part of your negotiated compensation, right? When you go to work at an employer, we usually get excited over the salary. We always talk about the 401k match. But there's a lot of other ancillary benefits that they have. You know, there's the life insurance piece that they have. A lot of people take advantage of that. They also have disability, short-term and long-term disability that people take advantage of. We'll also have some things like AFLAC where they have that other short-term disability that's on top of what they will already have there. There's all kinds of stuff. Then some of this stuff comes into play because if you have health issues, sometimes you'll need to get the company benefits because they won't cover long-term disability outside of what the company's covering because of health issues that you may have had that were related to stress that you didn't take care of because you didn't read your employee benefits manual. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but there is a lot of stuff to understand. And I understand that it's hard to digest everything. However, it is so important for you to make sure that you at least look at this. Mike and I are going to keep going into this a little bit. Is there anything you wanted to add on to that about the importance of taking advantage of those benefits? No, I mean, I think you said it well. There's all sorts of different things that, you know, a lot of people just miss, right? When you take a job or when you change jobs and you're going through your enrollment or you're in open enrollment, what are the, the two or three biggest things you're going to do? It's health insurance, it's probably number one. 401ks, most of the time you can do that throughout the year, but that's, you know, number two, something that, that people are going to look at most frequently. And then I would say number three is probably the, the group life insurance offerings. You know, a lot of companies will typically cover like one or two X your base salary, and you can add supplemental insurance on top of that. Long-term disability, short-term disability. These things are all incredibly important. I think people do a pretty good job of looking into that. But like you said, with the EAP, marriage counseling, a lot of people who are married probably don't think they need marriage counseling, but it's free. It can't hurt. Like th there's no downside to this. Uh, my wife and I have done some counseling in the past. We actually did some before we got married too. And, you know, no downside there. And somebody else is paying for it. All you got to do is find the time to be able to do it. The prepaid legal type stuff that you were mentioning. If you don't have a will and you have an employer that's willing to basically write the check so that you can get a will done, it might cost you a little bit, but it's not going to cost as much as it would if you just went to an attorney on your own. Take advantage of that. That's money in your pocket. That's money that you otherwise don't have to spend just because you took the time to flip through that booklet or the PDF. Now everything's electronic, but take the time to do it. You know, not to talk my book, but take 15 minutes to read each section, right? Five minutes to read it, 10 minutes to think about it. If 15 minutes, do it over the course of the next three weeks. Open enrollment's usually a month long or so. Take that time. It doesn't have to take hours and hours. You don't have to go through it you know, three, four, five, six times, read each section, become familiar with what's available to you. And then think about how you can apply that to your life to put yourself in a better position. That's what we're talking about. So let's jump into the health plans a little bit. So there's so many different health plans. What I wanted to talk about on this part is the high deductible plan with the HSA, and then your regular health plan that doesn't come with the HSA. And so if we can just kind of talk through that, because I ask people if they have an HSA sometimes and they're like, what is an HSA? So if you could help us understand the difference in those health plans. I'll do my best. The HSA, HSA stands for health savings account. And it's very similar, at least the way it looks and the way it's displayed in employee benefits packets. It's very similar to flexible spending accounts, which are vastly different. A flexible spending account is money that you put in pre-tax 
that you can use on certain things. You can spend on certain things, but if you don't spend it, the money's gone. An HSA doesn't work that way. And most employees will be eligible for an FSA, which I'm not a big fan of, but you're only eligible for an HSA if you have what's called a high deductible health plan. And I can't remember off the top of my head uh, what the limit is. I want to say it's like 6250 Is it $6,250? For a family, it's $6,200. Okay. For an individual, I think it's half of that for an individual. So when we're talking about the health plan and we're saying HSAs, high deductible plan, you know, and, and, and Mike, we can talk about this together. I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to cut you off. But just the high deductible plan means that you are going to have the high deductible. All of us understand that. So you might have like a family deductible of $10,000 for the year, meaning that if you're, you know, say you have a surgery, my wife and I are talking about this now because we're pregnant and we're going to have another baby. The growing family. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we're having advisor growth one way or another, whether we're going <laughs> to hire people or just birth them into, into the family firm. But when you have that high deductible plan, you have to meet that deductible before everything else is covered, right? Mike? Right. So, yep. so talk to that a little bit and see how the difference is, because this is what happened to me many times. So we have health insurance from our employer, right? And we go there and then they're like, okay, you have a copay. And we're like, okay, well, I have a copay. I got to pay this. And then they're like, okay, but you got to pay this out-of-pocket expense. And you're like, well, why am I paying for this? I have insurance. I shouldn't have to pay for this. I don't know if anybody else has ever been in that situation, but this happened to me all the time when I would go to the doctor. So that is where your deductible comes into play and understanding how this all works together. So talk a little, you were talking about the HSA, so I just wanted to tee that up. With any health plan, you're going to have premiums, the monthly payment that you make every month to have this health insurance. With a standard health plan, you pay those premiums and then you go to the doctor. Like you said, you might have a copay and you might have coinsurance also. You might have a deductible, but typically in a standard health plan, your deductible is going to be met as a portion of the coinsurance you pay. Or so each time you pay coinsurance, that is going to go towards your deductible. On the flip side, with a high deductible health plan, in many cases, you'll still have negotiated rates, but you're basically paying the full freight of your medical care up to that deductible limit. Once you hit that deductible for the year, all the plans I've seen are calendar year, so January 1st to December 31st. I don't know if any run on opposite or, or fiscal calendars or anything like that, but generally it's January 1 to 1231 every year. Once you hit that deductible, then either all or the vast majority of future medical expenses will be covered by your insurance. For me, I've had high deductible health plans in the past when I was single, when I was a lot younger and I was healthier. I never hit the deductible. So, you know, paying a lower premium with the high deductible health plan at the time, I didn't have to worry about what that deductible was. I'd go to the doctor two or three times a year, tops, sometimes once, and it was never an issue. But fast forward, you know, now I have a three year old son. I'm married. My wife doesn't work. So it's all on my insurance. So I'm paying those premiums every month but I have a high deductible health plan. And until I meet the deductible of, I don't even know what it is, $7,700 or something like that, then I'm paying everything out of pocket. Once I get beyond that 7,700, then the insurance company is picking up the tab. Luckily for me this year, I was on a really expensive prescription drug that was like $3,600 a month. So I hit my deductible pretty fast. And I think in March and through the end of this year, basically all my medical care is free. But let's get into the HSA a little bit because the HSA is one of my favorite account types out there. And here's why. You make a contribution to your HSA account. That is tax deductible. So let's say you make $50,000 a year and you contribute 
$5,000 to an HSA. The limit I think is 6,000 if you're married, 3,000 or 7,000 if you're married, 3,500 if you're single, something like that. So let's say this is a married couple and they're putting 10% into their HSA, right? So five grand's going into the HSA. That means your taxable income is now 45,000, not 50,000. And so you get that tax benefit when the money goes in. Over certain limits, which I think is $2,000 in most HSA plans, the money that's in there can be invested. You can put it in the stock market. You can put it in the bond market. You can leave it in cash. You can do all sorts of things with it, similar to a 401k or an IRA. There's usually pre-selected investment options that you have. And you got to be careful with those investment options because HSAs are smaller than 401ks. You might see the same mutual fund but it may carry a higher expense ratio. So it's really important when you're investing money inside of an HSA to look at what the expense ratios are on the funds that you're choosing and things like that. So now what happens with that money from the HSA? So you've been taking this money out of your account, right? Right. Monthly. It's been coming out of your check pre-tax, like your 401k. So what happens with that money? You said you hit your deductible pretty quick in the year. So what happens with all this money that you have now? Yeah, so the HSA money, like I said, it can be invested. And the way I look at it is I'm using the HSA as a way to build an additional revenue stream in retirement. The way the withdrawals work from HSAs is that if you are paying or reimbursing yourself for a qualifying medical expense, that will be tax-free. And that's the third piece of why the HSA is such a great account. You get a tax break on the way in. The money that's invested grows tax-deferred. And when you take it out for a qualifying medical expense, it's tax-free. So you get the benefit on the front end, similar to an IRA or a 401k. You get the benefit during the you know, duration of the time the money is in the account and, and growing. And you get the benefit of like a Roth IRA when you take the money out, as long as you have qualifying medical expenses. And typically qualified medical expenses is going to be anything that you go to the doctor for. Anything that you go to the doctor for. But I think there's also other things like preventative care type stuff. So possibly gym memberships and things like that. Now, I don't know for sure. That's something you'd want to check on with your CPA or tax attorney or whoever. It's beyond just doctor visits. Mm -hmm. And it can be used to pay deductibles. But the thing that I like the most about it is I've had an HSA now for a few years. I had one in the past too, which I actually need to track down when I was at Wells Fargo. I had one and I kind of forgot about it. So I probably have some money sitting out there somewhere. But my goal is to fund it to the maximum every single year and not use it for medical care right now while I'm working and either use it just for medical care in the future or use it for just a tax-free income bucket in the future when I'm retired, as long as I can prove that I'm repaying myself for medical expenses that I've incurred, then I will be able to take that out tax-free. So in 2015, my wife and I had medical bills that were almost $50,000 that year. So that means that the first 50 grand that I take out of my HSA at any point in the future, as long as I can prove that I incurred those medical expenses, that first 50 grand is going to be tax-free. And right now I don't have 50 grand in my HSA, but when it gets to that level, I can take all of it out tax-free. Even if all I ever put in was last year's contribution and next year's contribution or this year's or whatever, and it grows to 50, I don't pay any tax on the growth either. That's the beauty of this account type. You can see why Mike and I think this is so important for people to understand because people are sitting here probably saying like, well, well, all this tax. So I get the tax break on the way in, especially as, you know, tax season comes up and you start thinking about how can I do this? How can I do that? I got a lot of people out there trying to buy stuff, trying to figure out how to, you know, change their exemptions on their check. And this is an easy way just to say, okay, 
let's make that decision this year to start an HSA. And like I said, each individual person's situation is going to be a little different. We're not giving you blanket advice. But this is definitely something that I would recommend that all of you look into with your financial professional that you work with or with someone at your job that can kind of explain the difference of how these plans work. But the HSA is a win-win-win situation for most people. Anything else to add on those HSAs or understanding about the health plans? The only caveat I would say about that is I don't know that it's necessarily, and again, this is not blanket advice, but I don't know that it's necessarily the right move to choose a high deductible health plan just for the HSA. You know, you have to make sure that that high deductible plan is the right fit for you and your family. And there's two ways of looking at that. So the reason we went with it this year, again, was because we knew we were going to have a lot of medical expenses. I've had back issues for a long time. So I've been seeing a host of doctors. I'm probably responsible for at least, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a year in medical expenses, not counting the prescription drugs. We have a three-year-old. Three-year-olds go to the doctor quite a bit. And then my wife has, has dealt with migraines for a long time. So she ends up going, you know, back and forth to doctors and and prescriptions and all that. So where it can fit is if you don't have a lot of reason to go to the doctor and you can save on that monthly premium amount and you can sock money into an HSA or on the flip side, like our case, when you know you're going to spend a lot of money anyway, and the out-of-pocket max isn't too much different than what it would be paying the full premiums on the traditional health plan and then paying all the out-of-pocket maximums as care comes up. So typically you can have your regular health plan. Let's say, you know, you're an individual, maybe your health plan's costing you, or let's just say family, because a lot of, a lot of the people that are listening to this have family and kids. So let's say normally the deduct the uh, the monthly premium that you're paying or the part that comes out of your check pre-taxes, let's say it's like $200 a pay period. Right. Well, for the other insurance, it might be $300 a pay period, right? So that's the difference between $400 and $600. Now, if you know you're not going to the doctor a lot, then having an HSA, because you can save that extra $100 a month by having the HSA, because it's only $200 a pay period, that's okay, because now you can take that extra $100 and put it into your actual HSA. And if something comes up, you have money in there, you can pay for some things. If the flip side of this, because my wife and I had an HSA, and we were going to the doctor a lot, and so I had a major surgery in 2019, earlier this year, so we depleted the HSA. Then in 2018, we had a baby that depleted the HSA. So this year we're planning for 2020 to have another baby. And I think we're not going to do the HSA this year. We've kind of weighed the options. I think the, you know, knowing that we're going to have the baby in March, we're not going to have enough time to overfund it. So I think for us this year, we're not going to have an HSA. This is the first year we haven't had an HSA. And I think that's a really important thing for a lot of people to keep in mind is just because you've been at the same company for four years or five years or 10 years or however long it's been, you still need to look at the open enrollment information because it might make a huge difference in your life to switch from a high deductible plan to a traditional plan or to switch from a traditional plan to a high deductible plan. And it's not just something that you should let go by and just check the boxes to keep everything the same as last year. You owe it to yourself to do the math, to crunch those numbers and see which one is going to put me or my family in a better position in the next year. And I think this is a great way to start having those money conversations. This is a sit down at the kitchen table, pull out the, you know, print that stuff out, put it down, sit it down. And this is something that you can have a real robust conversation with your, with your significant other or with yourself and actually 
talk through this. Pull out the calculator. I mean, my wife and I are old school. We pull out the calculator and do some calculations right there. This is what we're saving. I really recommend that to anyone that is listening. With that, we'll spend a little bit of time on retirement accounts. This is something that both of us love. So we'll talk about 401ks in particular. I know there's 401ks, 457s, 403bs. There's all these codes. All those numbers are are the tax code. So if you were to look at, I know if you're ever bored and you want to find out what all that means, you just pull out the tax code and you go to section 401k and that's what's in there. So that's all that is. Don't let that scare you. So now the employer retirement accounts, let's talk about those a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So the most common one is a 401k, but like you said, Emlyn, it's not about what the account is called. It's about how the account functions and what it means. Most of my experience is dealing with folks that work for large companies, publicly traded companies. Typically, they all offer 401ks. There's a couple of you know nuances here and there, but primarily the 401k allows you to elect a salary deferral. So push money that otherwise would have been paid to you in your paycheck into this retirement account. You can do that pre-tax in the traditional 401k, or you can do it after tax in the Roth 401k. And we can talk about the difference between traditional and Roth if we want to, or folks can look it up if we don't have enough time. There's a, a little bit of nuance between those two account types, but the biggest thing that I try to encourage people to do is enroll no matter what. So, oh, I don't think I can afford to put any money into my 401k enroll in it and do the smallest amount you possibly can. The trick is the behavior. If you get in the habit of consistently putting money into this account, you're not going to miss it. As humans, we're extremely adaptable. If my take-home paycheck goes down by 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever it is that you can afford, even if it's 500, whatever the number is, that is going to develop a behavior that is going to really, really pay off in the long run. Because if you don't get into that habit, you don't establish the behavior of doing this consistently and regularly and automatically, then you're going to set yourself up to run into problems down the road. Back to what you had said earlier, Mike, about the negotiated compensation. When you start at your company and you start working, when they roll out these benefits and they tell you that if you do a 401k match, you know, we'll match you up to 3%, up to 6%, you are not getting paid everything that you are supposed to be paid or everything that you negotiated if you aren't enrolling in the 401k plan or whatever company retirement plan they have. So I can't stress it to you enough that there's some low hanging fruit on how you can help change your financial future. And this is one of the lowest hanging fruits just by enrolling in that. So if you haven't done it already, please enroll into your company's 401k plan. Receive the compensation that you deserve. Just get in the plan. Absolutely. To your point, you said, okay, so they'll match 3% or they'll match 50% on the dollar up to 6% or you know, whatever. That's pretty standard, right? And what I want to stress to people is that's 3% more than your salary, right? You can't have it right now. The, the goal is that you're putting it away for retirement, but to not participate in that is to tell the company, you know what, why don't you knock my pay down by 3%? It's essentially the same thing. So if you're offered a $100,000 salary and a 3% match on your 401k, that's like getting, getting paid 103000 netting, I guess, ninety six or 94000 because you're putting in six, they're putting in three. But now you've got nine grand over here on your $100,000 salary. You've got nine grand saved for retirement and 94 coming. 
And if you add those up, that's higher than 100,000. It's not free money. It's part of your compensation. I, I can't say that enough. Every time somebody says, yeah, of course I participate. I get the free money. I'm like, at least you're doing it, but you're looking at it wrong. Framing is super important here. This is what the company has agreed to pay you. They really get pissed off when you don't take it. Yeah, because it messes up a lot of the testing and stuff. We won't get into that, but that's a whole nother issue. Right. Long story, less long, enroll in your 401k. And then let's talk about some important, uh, the, the financial wellness programs. Just real quick, touch on that, Mike, and then I, I want to get into one other thing before we get stopped. But talk about that. This is something popular. Employees are, you know, PricewaterhouseCooper puts out this survey. And over the last 10 years, you've seen a lot of employee wellness programs right. that have been rolled out. And so- What's the importance of having that with your employer? Overall, employee wellness is great. They do a lot of employment, or not employment, but employee benefits fairs or enrollment fairs during open enrollment time periods. But then the rest of the year, you're kind of just on your own. So I'm an advocate for and a big fan of companies who have more ongoing opportunities to educate their employees, for their employees to learn more about how to coordinate their benefits, how to maximize their benefits. You know, again, in my work with publicly traded companies, there's another benefit called the ESPP or the employee stock purchase plan. That's another thing that I think people a lot of the times don't think about the right way. I was having a conversation with somebody at Microsoft yesterday, really, really smart young woman. And I asked if she participated in the ESPP. Oh, no, I don't because I already have, you know, enough exposure with Microsoft. I totally get that. I'm not advocating for people to be over-concentrated. But with an ESPP, typically you can sell the stock the same day you get it, and you get it at a discount. So if you... Typically 15%, right? 15. Yeah, between 5 and 15%, depending on the company. But, but yeah, if it is a 15% discount, and you sell the stock the day that you get it, and let's say it hasn't gone up at all, you just got that 15% essentially gain, you're going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, right? It's a short-term capital gain, but that's the same thing as increasing your salary by another roughly 3%, depending on what tax bracket you're in. You get all of that. You can spend all of that. And people look at it from the perspective of, well, I don't want short-term capital gains. Well, do you want a raise? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing as giving yourself a raise. So now if you work at a company like this that offers a 15% discount and you're in the 32% tax bracket or whatever the numbers are, you can give yourself roughly a three to three and a half, maybe 4% raise without asking anybody for it. They've already given this to you. So again, now you're getting your $100,000 salary if you're participating in the 401k. We know it's up to 103. If you get another 3% or so, now you're up to 106 and you haven't asked somebody for a raise yet. You got to at least look at it if you can't do it. Now, I understand not everybody can afford to participate in these things fully with the way their cash flow situation is, but that gets into a whole other conversation. Knowing these benefits, knowing how they work, knowing the rules and how it all comes together, I call it coordinated benefit planning. And it's one of the most important things that employees can do for themselves. You know, we just found an extra six grand for this person or three grand if their salary is 50,000. That's a big number. That's a, an extra month's worth of take-home pay, essentially. So critical. If there's one theme, make sure you check in on those benefits. If you need help, please reach out to myself, reach out to Michael. You know the email. It is on there. It's inland at Minority Money Podcast. We'll have Michael give all of his information at the end of this. Mike, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are trying to change the complexion of wealth. We're not trying. We're actually making the changes. This is a movement. And at this point, I want to know a little bit about what motivates Mike to grow and learn. 
Well, that's a good question. And uh, I guess depending on the day that you ask, you may get a different answer every time. But there's one thing that I'm constantly trying to do for myself, for my business. And that is to learn what I can do to help clients plan better, to help ease clients' concerns when it comes to their financial lives. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what's the best investment, what's the best fund, you know, how do I trade sector ETF? That to me is is less important than getting people's cash flow under control so that they understand where their money is coming from, which is usually the easy part, but where their money is going, which you could probably ask a hundred people and only two or three of them, if you're lucky, would be able to answer that. Financial advisors included, right? So I think for people to understand you know, where their money goes and why and, and looking at that from the perspective of not to blame anything, to, you mentioned keeping up with the Joneses before, it's, it's not about blaming anybody. It's about saying, you know, these are my priorities, these are my values, but my money is telling a different story. I'm spending money on fancy cars, vacations, clothes, you know, going out to fancy restaurants and, you know, you got to get a picture for the gram, but it's, uh, that will, will paint the true picture of where those values really are. It's great to say, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. But if you're short on money for saving because you've spent it on, you know, something frivolous, let's say, and I'm not saying everybody has to be, you know, like a, a monk or whatever. I don't have a good analogy there. <laughs> uh, to, you have to balance enjoying life now with, with the future, but you got to know where things are going. You have to have control of your cash flow. So what motivates me is being educated and understanding how to help people get a better control over where their money goes. Absolutely. Love it. I call it conscious spending. Be conscious of where your money's going. Perfect. If you could offer one piece of advice for our listeners or pieces, I'll, I'll throw that in there. Uh, if you could offer some advice to our listeners or piece of advice, what, what would that advice be? Find time, whether it's on a weekly basis, monthly basis, probably no less frequently than monthly, but not daily. You know, once a week, 15 minutes. I'm a big fan of the 15 minute thing. <laughs> um, find time once a week to dedicate a little bit of time to your personal financial situation. As the 15 minute financial advisor, like you mentioned earlier, if you spend 15 minutes a week, that's 13 hours a year that you will have spent dedicated to improving your personal financial situation, or at least educating yourself on it. And there's no downside to that. It's 15 minutes. Right now, do it on Tuesday or Wednesday nights because there's no football on. So you got nothing to do anyway. You might as well spend time working on your own you know, financial well-being. Awesome. Love it. Mike, if the people want to get more of Michael Pollocker, where can they find Mike at? Where can our listeners find you? I'm on Twitter way more than I should be. <laughs> um, that's at 15 minute FA. So it's one five minute FA. Mm-hmm. No pictures of me up there. It's just my logo. So I got to figure out a way to change that so people know what I look like and who I am. But that's one way. The podcast is available basically everywhere. You can find a podcast except for Pandora because they haven't accepted me yet. <laughs> but Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Say, Alexa, play the 15-Minute Financial Advisor podcast. I'm sure it works with the Minority Money podcast as well. Just makes it easy for people. I have a Facebook page, but I don't think anybody uses Facebook anymore. I'm on there maybe once a day just to make sure I don't have questions or whatever. So Twitter's probably the best or LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn 
pretty frequently as well for some reason. Yeah, you can you can find me uh, you can find me there. Mike, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. I know this is something that you've talked about. Like I said, you dedicated four episodes on your own podcast to it. So I appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me for my guests, especially in open enrollment. We're going to get this out to them as soon as possible. I just want to let everyone know this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at imlin at minoritymoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.